Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Making Milestones podcast. Today's topic is going to be a bit of a doozy. It's going to be one that probably is going to be quite triggering for a lot of people. Uh, And by triggering, I mean triggering your anger response at me, probably. Um, So that topic is going to be the fact that the vast majority of horse people love their horses in the wrong way. Uh, it's not about, like, I'm not denying the fact that most people who have horses have them because they do love horses, but that love is so misguided and so misplaced that to the horses, it's not going to come across as love in terms of how they get to experience their environment and the actual lives they get to live and whether or not their needs are being listened to and met and whether or not they have a voice. They're not being loved in the way that they actually need to. They're not going to be, they're not being loved in the way that is most ethical or fair to them. They're being loved in a pretty selfish way, but it's a weird kind of topic and a weird place to be because the love is not just misguided out of sheer selfishness on the part of the horse owner. It's also due to the indoctrination and the misinformation that is so rampant in the horse world. And we've discussed that in other topics as well. Um, so it's not that horse owners themselves are just living purely selfishly. It's that their selfish desires are supported by a lot of the misinformation that is fed to them by prominent figures in the horse world. So they don't view it as selfishness, but there's not really any other way to word it because with a lot of the things we do with horses, especially stuff that requires them to be deprived of basic needs or requires them to work through pain and discomfort or be worked in equipment that uses discomfort to force them to react sooner or respond quicker, that is not going to be perceived by the horse as love. It's going to be perceived by the horse as stressful, painful, uncomfortable. And so that's why it's so flawed how a lot of horse people have been taught how to love their horses and how to show affection and how to take care of them and how to um, yeah, care for them properly. Like that, it, it's so misguided that people go about this thinking that they are doing what is best for their horse, thinking that they're doing something that shows their love for their horse and shows their enjoyment of their horse, and thinking that they're being way more considerate of their horse's needs than they actually are. And the practices that are upheld at such a high rate in the horse world don't reflect any sort of real love or care in the sense of how the horse experiences it. They're not going to feel like their needs are met or that they're being cared for or considered when so much of what we do with them is about depriving them of their needs and leveraging discomfort for control. Uh, So I wanted to talk about that and this is going to piss a lot of people off I'm sure because the stuff that I'm going to talk about it's stuff that a lot of horse people are guilty of or have been guilty of in the past and this isn't to make people feel bad about themselves or to feel guilty it's about trying to reach you and change your perspective on how you show your horse that you love them and care about them and how you care for your horse because it doesn't matter if you're doing a lot of work to try to show your horse your affection and show them that they're cared for and show them that they're valued if the way that you're doing it is not in a way that the horse enjoys or will experience it as being like pleasant uh you know like it doesn't really matter what the general intention behind it is if it's not landing and having the animal experience it in a positive light so It's great that a lot of horse people try to do the most for what they think is the best way to care for their horse, but if it's not actually in a way that the horse perceives as pleasantly, 
it doesn't really matter. It's irrelevant. It doesn't matter if you're spending lots of money doing something, if it's to your horse's detriment and if it's not making them happy. Uh, so we'll get right into that in just a second. Um, for anyone who is interested in uh, more training tutorials and just my thoughts on things more and like more access to asking questions and behind the scenes stuff and product development and whatnot, I highly recommend subscribing to my Patreon channel. You can subscribe for as little as a dollar a month, but there's also some higher tiers for people who are looking for more tutorials and training help. Um, you can join that at patreon.com slash S-D-E-Q-U-U-S. And there's already a lot of training videos up. I'm working on a desensitization series and the first video of that is up. It's all about desensitizing within the horse's threshold of tolerance and not creating these big flight reactions and how desensitization should actually look when it's done properly. And um, we're gonna go over a number of different skills that horses need to know, like um, standing for the hose, being fly sprayed, being saddled and so on and so forth. Like there's gonna be a lot of stuff that I'll do and pick away at over time. So it'll, it'll take some time to get all of those videos up, but that is is what we are working on and that is what we are going to be posting on that um, Patreon and then there's also already a bunch of tutorials up about teaching head away and target training and a bunch of the positive reinforcement basics as well as working with nervous horses and all sorts of stuff like that so it's a really good resource for people who are looking for help because I get a lot of questions sent to me and a lot of DMs and I just do not have time to answer them and I put a lot of time already into doing free resources so for like direct questions and specific training help I do prefer that people join my patreon um, if that's what they're looking for uh, also we're having a Memorial Day sale uh, this weekend on the mrequestrian.ca website all of the milestone products are included it's 20% off with code memorial at checkout we've also just released some new short sleeve summer riding shirts that are really nice they're pretty enough to show in but they're super comfortable so for day-to-day -day riding if you just want to look swanky highly recommend they're really nice you can check those out on the amoraequestrian.ca website under the milestone page and all of the proceeds from stuff that sells are going towards milo's mri and any subsequent treatment after that so that's why we're plugging that a lot and trying to move product um we're having a restock for the bridles that is coming in the next few weeks there's been some delays due to festivals ongoing where the bridles are made so people have been taking time off and there also are still some covid related delays when people get sick so bear with me be patient they'll be back soon uh, highly recommend checking those out also for anyone who is interested in using the supplements that i use with my horses you can get a discount on all mad barn supplements with code sd E-Q-U-U-S at checkout and they also offer free diet analysis services so I highly recommend them they're fantastic check that out <clears throat> and anyways let's get into this so horse people often love their horses in the wrong way what do I mean by this it is as simple as like hearing the descriptor that is so common where people will talk about like their horses cozy stall their nice warm blanket and kind of just talk about things in a sense where they're like, oh yeah, my horse loves this. This is their preference and like worded in the sense like, oh yeah, my horse loves being in a stall that they cannot at will choose to leave. And they love their deep bedding. They love their fancy stall. Oh, they love, they love jumping. They love doing dressage. They love doing this type of work with me when I'm riding them. And generally speaking, when people are doing this, they're always referencing things that in some way benefit them or that they spend a lot of money on. So then they assume that the horse likes, regardless of what the horse is actually telling them. So 
For example, the whole notion of being like, oh yeah, my horse loves their cozy, warm, dry stall. Um, they would spend all their time in there if they could choose and they'll go on and on and on about that. And then the horses are going into stalls that are not attached to paddocks. And when the horse has no option to leave, you don't really know how much your horse actually likes expend, like spending extended periods of time in there. Like the only way you could actually know is if you leave the door open 24-7 and no one would do that because they would be afraid of their horse leaving. Um, horses who are fed in their stalls and who get meals in their stalls and associate the stall with getting their grain meal or food, obviously they're going to like entering their stall when they have that food, but that does not mean that they want to stay in there for eight plus hours or 12 plus hours or 20 plus hours. It means that they have an association with the stall that they know, hey, when I first go in here, I have my food and that's awesome. And then they will have a positive association with it initially, but it doesn't mean that they love spending as much time in their stall as they do. And it also doesn't mean that they wouldn't prefer some other type of living situation like group housing, a large like shelter that goes out into like a big paddock or a field like honestly the vast majority of horses even ones that are chronically stalled and have anxiety in large areas if you gave them a shelter or a stall that backed on to turn out with other horses I can guarantee you even if it takes them like a few days or a couple weeks adjustment they're not going to be spending the vast majority of the time in the stall if you start calculating their daily time budget they're going to be going out interacting with other horses grazing for foraging and oh, sorry I just had a hiccup foraging and doing horse things rather than spending time standing in a 12 by 12 box because it is boring these animals are made to move and cover so many kilometers each day in the ideal scenario and obviously a lot of horses living scenarios in the modern environment you can't necessarily replicate that to the full extent but the fact of the matter is even in modern living situations where horses are in smaller paddocks or paddocks attached to stalls or even just get day paddock turnout and then back out into a stall they want to move around, they want to forage, they want to look at things, they want to interact with other horses. They don't want to stand in a wooden box staring at a wall for half of their day or more. They don't want to do that. And when you're showing love for your horse, that's not the best way to do it. And even all that aside, because some people will literally argue with me that their horse loves their stall so much and prefers to live in it until they're blue in the face. And I still firmly believe that that is a disordered behavior. A horse who genuinely prefers to be in, in a stall and is afraid of the outdoors and gets stressed outside is only like that because they have been conditioned to be that way. No horse is born being that way. So that is a hill I'll die on regardless of what anyone says. But all of that aside... Let's pretend that there is this miracle horse that came out of the womb loving to be in a tiny box. Even if that is the case, you're not loving your horse in the right way if you're engaging in a care practice that has proven to have so many health detriments. Because for example, my horses would quote unquote love if I poured 20 kilograms of grain onto the floor of their paddock and they would spend all day eating it but they'd probably colic and get really sick and it wouldn't be healthy for them. So the fact that they would go, oh, this is awesome, this is exciting, I wanna eat a bunch of this high starch, like sugary shit that is now in front of me because it's more exciting and it's higher value than our typical hay and the other stuff we have in here. They would chow down and they would be thrilled about it, but it is not in their best interest. So that's not the right way to love them because First of all, like at, at best, it's probably a disordered behavior if they like the stall. And by probably, I mean it, it, it is. Like I don't believe that horses grow up wanting to be in a stall. 
they might prefer the stall if they have such poor access to turnout or like the living situation isn't sufficient to provide their needs across the course of like all different seasons but there's ways to rectify that and there's alternatives that people should look at but generally speaking most of the time horses appear to love their stalls it is because of the fact that they have been forced to live in one for much of their life and they don't know how to act in the alternative. The amount of horses I've brought out of stalled environments who haven't gotten turnout and who haven't had group turnout especially and watch them literally not know what to do. They don't know how to interact with other horses. They don't know what to do in the field. Even when there's grass and there's hay and there's stuff they can investigate, they just stand in a corner not knowing what to do because they're like, holy shit, I don't know what's going on. It is sad. That is devastating. It's not something that anyone should be proud of and not anything that should be written off as a preference. Like the horses that are socially inept and have been kept in a way that is not what like how a horse should be kept. You can tell because they have no idea how to interact with other horses. And yes, they do occasionally run themselves into situations where they get bullied or beaten up in the field. But again, that's not a result of them not liking the field or that not being a good environment for them. It's a result of having such a poorly socialized horse that it doesn't know how to take a warning. It doesn't know how to interact with other horses. It doesn't know how to behave. So it inevitably but inevitably, inevitably gets bullied by other well-socialized horses who are used to horses who heed their warnings and who are used to horses who interact normally. So it's no different than if a parent locks their child up in a room for most of their life and then suddenly throws them out into like a crowd of children. They're not going to know how to interact with properly socialized children in the way that they should and in the way that would make them safest and most likely to make friends because there's an adjustment period and they've been done a disservice and that disservice leads them to potentially getting bullied more or being more stressed in, in turnout and so on and so forth but it's not the animal's fault it's not the animal's preference it's a direct result of the management that the animal had no say in and the same can apply to children because like with our horses they are usually at the entire mercy of their caretakers they have no real say over what they do and any stress behaviors they develop due to the carriage practices are the result of the people taking care of them, not a choice on their part. It's not a choice that they made knowing what was going on. They had no other choice. They had to develop behaviors to cope with the stress of the environment that they were put in. And that is on their caretakers way more than it'll ever be on them and their preferences. So the sad thing is like a lot of horse people love their horses in the wrong way and then the, the problem behaviors that arise due to the horses being managed or trained improperly are often blamed on like the horse's preference or the horse being quirky or the horse not liking certain things. Uh, for example, like a lot of people who have horses who are living in traditional stabled environments and really only do arena work, they'll try, if they ever try to take their horses out on trails, they're like, oh, they don't like trails because their horse will be shitting themselves. And it's not really that the horse doesn't like trails. They don't like things that they're not prepared for. They don't like things that are completely overstimulating and frightening due to the lack of experience they have in such a world. Most horses would probably find trails more interesting because they're more engaging. There's more stuff to look at. And the ground is different. It's not repetitive tasks. And typically on a trail ride, you would be more likely to ride them on a loose rein and just kind of get to hang out with them nicely. So a lot of horses would actually prefer it if they were properly introduced to trails in the first place. But like with turnout, a lot of horses are just thrown into the deep end. And then when they show that they don't 
like when they're not comfortable with something people take that as oh this horse only likes arena work or they only like this or they only like that and you even see it with people labeling stress behaviors as a horse liking something like for horses who rush fences really badly people will be like oh they're rushing because they love to jump when nine times out of ten they're rushing because they've associated jumping with stress and they're just trying to go through the motions of doing what they think they're supposed to do and getting it over with like it's a stress response Getting out of control and trying to, trying to run through the bridle, even as the equipment they're in causes them discomfort and they're like throwing their head and twisting their head and trying to evade the bit, that's not due to enjoyment. That is due to fighting the circumstances they are under and being overstimulated and nervous in a very stimulating environment. It's not due to enjoyment. And by mislabeling all of these behaviors, we do horses such a disservice. And we see people who do love their horses and do think that they're caring for them and do, in theory, want to care for them. Even labeling, like, clearly aggressive or um, upset behaviors on the part of the horse as just, like, quirky. Or, like, oh, she's just such a chestnut mare. Or she's just marish. Oh, yeah, he's just like that. Like, he's just kind of a dick. And they're, meanwhile, their horse is, like, pinning their ears and kicking out and not wanting to go forward under saddle or trying to grab people as they walk past its stall. And they're like, oh, yeah, like, he's just protective of his stall. And it's like, no, he's pissed and frustrated because all he gets to do all day is look at four walls 24-7. And he's bored. And then the poor thing is having its behaviors mislabeled so that the owner can stroke their own ego and feel better about the care that they're providing, but not actually have to look at it honestly. And it's absurd. It's not loving them the right way. And like, here's the thing about actual love. It's not about being perfect because you can love people and you can still hurt them. And hurting people doesn't mean that you don't love them. However, if you are presented with the information that something you do is hurting someone that you love and they tell you this repeatedly and you ignore it and keep doing it and you're like, oh no, it's fine. They don't actually dislike it. They're just saying that or they're just being quirky. Then your love is a very selfish love. It's more of a love of yourself and a love of what the person provides for you because if you're not willing to reevaluate and reflect on your behavior and how things you do negatively impact others, even as they are showing you and telling you or research comes out and shows it as being detrimental, if you continue to engage in those harmful practices while claiming that you love the person or the animal until you're blue in the face, it's not really a true love because if you loved them enough, you would love them enough to change your behavior, even if it's just minorly altering how you view certain things, just to be more conscious of how the person or animal you love is feeling. But if you're not willing to do that, then with that in mind, you cannot really get upset at people for pointing it out for what it is and being like, oh, well, like if you love your horse and you're engaging in deliberately harmful care practices, and doing so in a way that, like, the horse is showing you that is causing them harm, causing them stress, causing them discomfort, or there's extensive research, like, in the case of, like, the whole stalling thing that, like, horses are not meant to be isolated and kept boxed up for extended periods of time. If all that info is out there for you to see, and odds are the horses that you are around are, are showing clear stress behaviors that are talked about in these studies, and you still choose to just shrug it off and go, oh, no, it's not true, my horse is different, and die on that hill, you're putting your own comfort and your own beliefs above the comfort and health of your horse. And 
that isn't loving them in the right way. There is no way around that. Like, people can get as mad as they want about me saying this. I say this as someone who used to love my horse completely improperly because that was how I was taught to love them. That was how I was taught to care for horses. That was how I was taught horses needed to be cared for. And so I engaged in these things thinking I was doing the right thing. But I hit a point where I was like, okay, like I started to notice holes in what I had been taught, holes in the logic and problem behaviors in my horses that seemed to be correlated with very specific things. And then that kind of started to pull the wool, like pull the wool away from my eyes and like make me realize what was actually happening. And slowly change started to happen from that. So it's not even about immediate change, but if you're consistently putting energy into upholding a delusion and believing something that has a lot of research against it or believing something that your horse is deliberately telling you that they do not like, then you're not trying hard enough. It's not about immediate fixing. It's about being honest with yourself and taking in some hard information sometimes to do better by your horse. Because if you want to love and care for them the right way, it's not always going to be about making you comfortable. Sometimes you're going to have to deal with hard things that aren't what you want and are going to be devastating for you to deal with, but are for the best interest of your horse. It's not always going to be stuff that you want. Like with Milo, do you think I want him to be sore? Do you think I want to spend $3,000 on an MRI? No. Is it for his best interest? Yes. Will I make it happen because of that? Yes. And it's really that easy. Just flipping the mindset and starting to be open-minded to information, even if it's hard for you to grasp and hard for you to take in initially because it goes so far against what you were taught is proper care for your horse. But as it stands, we have so much information that is poking a whole lot of holes in the care and management and training practices we have been told for so many years are totally fine and dandy for horses and that horses don't care about and that don't bother them. But now we have all this information out there showing us how detrimental these practices are and how there are better ways of doing things. And people are stubbornly putting their own interests above their horses, the horses that they claim to love, when if they all pooled their resources and put their heads together, they could find solutions that would be more fair to their horse and would also kind of meet in the middle like more of a compromise and not completely uproot their entire life with their horse. But that actually requires people being self-reflective and holding themselves accountable and realizing that the proper way to love and care for an animal isn't always just going to be about stroking your ego and doing what is easiest for you to comprehend. It's going to be about making hard decisions sometimes. And this also comes down to like all animal care. It's stuff like even with people who like people who have sick animals, for example, selfishly holding on to an animal who is failing and is, has per- terrible quality of life because you love them so much that you can't let them go. That isn't loving them in the right way. And that's a really hard concept to grasp. And I get it because a lot of people do wait too long and it's a mistake. And usually after you make that mistake, you learn from it and you don't make it again. But if people repeatedly make that mistake, that is where the problem lies. It can be hard to make the best decisions with for your animal if you're Uh, view is clouded by your attachment to that animal and your attachment to what you get to do with that animal and your desire to just keep having them around in whatever capacity. But as their advocate, you need to realize that you have all of the control of their entire life. They have no say and all they can do is hope that you listen to them and help them out. And with animals, when they tell us things and like do misbehaviors and engage in things that we don't like, seeing stuff that we don't like, it's a reflection of what we are doing to them and we need to take that and learn from it. 
because horses are one of the most abused animals in the world, in my opinion. The amount of stuff that flies with people sharing publicly of them hurting their horses and the amount of different training gadgets on the market that are deliberately created to use like the to use like the physics of them to cause the horse discomfort like bits that are made to find pressure points in the mouth and dig in and increase pressure with shanks and equipment that is meant to go like around sensitive nerve rich areas with really really um like localized pressure points and really really thin materials that are purpose like the purpose of them is to localize pressure even more there are so many pieces of, equi of equipment on the market that the the only reason why they work is because they leverage discomfort to control the horse and people will want to go and buy these pieces of equipment and use them to skip a bunch of steps in training and get to the end goal quicker like for example you have a horse that rushes fences this annoys you you don't want to do more flat work you just want to keep jumping so you go and get a harsher bit, you go and get a gag bit, and you go and get a flash noseband, and you go and get a martingale, and then your horse can't fight you as much because it causes them way too much pain if they try. So they shut it down way quicker because the discomfort is just too much and they can't keep running through your hand. People will do this all of the time, but then if you say to them, hey, like, your horse is not comfortable in that, or if you suggest, like, hey, this equipment is actually used to leverage discomfort, then they freak out. They're like, you're calling me an abuser. I'm not an abuser. I love my horse. And it's like, you know, no one's denying the fact that you love your horse, but if you love them enough, you should be honest with yourself about how the mechanics of the equipment you use actually work, because it is not doing yourself or your horse any favors to deny the physics of how your equipment works, because even if you think your horse is different, the physics of equipment do not change from horse to horse. A bit that has a long shank and is made to create leverage in the mouth and pull pressure is going to do just that, no matter how soft your hands are. A bit that is made to find pressure points in the mouth and dig into the mouth can even do that, depending on the weight of the bit, regardless of whether you're pulling on the reins or not. And odds are you're touching the reins sometimes. So if you're using a bit that does all these things, there's no way around acknowledging how the mechanics work. So it's either about acknowledging it and considering how you can lessen the damage or the stress your horse feels as a result of that equipment. Or it's about lying to yourself, going into denial and potentially misusing a piece of equipment even worse because you're completely denying the physics behind how it actually works. Um, recently, I posted a TikTok about a brain chain. And for those of you who don't know, it's essentially... A brow band made out of like a bike chain or like the same uh, material as like a nose chain on a horse and it, it you attach it to like a tie down and if the horse raises their head too fat too much it pulls down right into their temples across those really nerve rich areas of the face that are poorly protected um, and this is used for horses that get high-headed it's most common in like barrel racing is where I've seen it the most and even in a video like that, like, the vast majority of the comments were, like, this is horrible, which is great, but even then, there's people defending it, being, like, oh, well, like, how can you say the horse is in pain? Meanwhile, the horse in the photos has, like, literally the most striking example of a pain face, and, like, the equine grimace scale is actually, like, a researched thing, whereas, like, people deciding what they think their horse's expression says has a lot of bias in it. 
If you don't want to think that your equipment is hurting your horse, you will literally make up whatever you think their expression is. You're not going to be honest with yourself. You're going to say like, oh, they always look like that. Or like, oh, that's just her face. She's just focused. She's just this. She's just that. And deny, deny, deny. But you can't really deny a very researched scale that it has been successfully used to determine pain in horses because they've used it and then they've diagnosed what is causing pain and have deliberately associated with pain. So there's not really any way around that. But anyways, even with that, like people were like, yeah, like how do you know the horse is in pain? That's what a pain face. All barrel horses look like that running home. And I was like, if all of the barrel horses you've seen look like that running home, what that means is you're seeing so many horses in pain that it has caused you to normalize it. And then there's another comment from someone who's like, um, like, do whatever you want with your own horses, but this actually works really well for me and my horse, so don't judge. And it's like, okay, an equipment working so that, like, working in that it gives you what you want so you can control your horse better, doing a sport that is largely just for you. Your horse doesn't care if they barrel race or not. They don't care if they go to competitions. Even if they, in theory, love running barrels, they'd be perfectly happy doing it at home or doing it at not shows. They don't care about going to competitions. So saying it works for you and your horse, what that is actually saying is saying it works for me in controlling my horse and making them do what I want them to do without them interfering with that as much and without me having to put as much work in to actually addressing the behaviors I don't like and training them properly instead of just slapping a bandaid on and using a piece of equipment that causes enough discomfort that they can no longer engage in the behavior. That's what that actually means. If it works for your horse, it would address the stress behavior. Something that works for your horse is actually addressing the anxiety and having your horse learn how to relax in stressful situations. That is something that works for both you and your horse. A piece of equipment that leverages discomfort to make your horse comply faster and causes them pain so that you can enjoy doing what you want, that is for you. That is not for your horse. Saying it works for you and your horse is just using your voiceless creature that cannot advocate for themselves past the point of showing their immense pain face, their tail swishing, their pinned ears, their lack of desire to be caught. When they see you bring the bridle out that has this equipment on it, they might try to get away initially. Or maybe they've learned to just shut down and take it because they've gotten in trouble when they do that. But the piece of equipment that you use to cause your horse discomfort is not working for your horse. It's working for you and you're using your horse's inability to speak up and actually deliberately straight up say verbally, this is causing me pain, take it off. You're using that as uh, as their acceptance and their enjoyment of a piece of equipment that you were the one that you got to choose to use it. The horse had no say and they have told you with their expression, their behavior, that it causes them pain and it has just chosen to be ignored. And this is why people need to start loving their horses in the correct way because it's so frustrating to see how rampant this is and how many people take the number of horse people willing to use certain types of harsh equipment that cause horses pain. They take that as an indicator of the equipment working, the equipment being ethical, the equipment being fair, the equipment not causing pain when really all that is an indicator of is how many horse people are brainwashed into being so flippant about using harsh equipment that causes their horse discomfort, all while wanting to say that their horse loves their job and loves being with them. 
And it's like, if that's the case, they would love it a hell of a lot more if you weren't causing them pain the whole way throughout just to try to address a behavior that could be fixed through training or fixed by figuring out whatever discomfort, emotional or physical, is causing the horse to engage in the behavior you don't want. Um, but yeah, it's sad. Like the, the number of people that are willing to deny how things work and how the mechanics of the equipment they use work and how it actually impacts and reacts on the horse that is used as a reason to be like, this is why this is okay. When really that should all, all that should be used as is a reason for why the horse world needs to change because there is such a huge echo chamber, such a huge group of people willing to continue denying harmful practice because they benefit from the use of it and they don't want to do things the quote unquote hard way, which is actually addressing why their horse does certain things. That is just an indicator of how much work we actually have left to do to make the horse world more ethical and fair to the horse. It's not an indicator of the fact that these, it's not an indicator of these pieces of equipment not being detrimental and not being harmful. It's an indicator of a lot of people are willing to ignore the detriments, lie to themselves, and continue lying to other horse people, clients, at the expense of all the horses involved, rather than considering the fact that there are better ways of doing things. And the most frustrating thing about all of this is a lot of these people actually create their own problems. So it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy because their horse has behavioral issues due to how gagged they are in communication. They're not allowed to communicate how they feel. When they try to say they're uncomfortable, they just get more equipment slapped on or they get punished. They're not allowed to be normal horses. They don't get to interact with horses to the degree that horses should be able to. They don't have enough space to move around. They're chronically bored and understimulated and have way too much energy. And because of that, people justify using stuff like lip chains, nose chains, twisted wire bits, tie downs, and like all, all that stuff to be like, oh yeah, like my horse is just difficult. And then there's this whole notion that it's like, oh yeah, like my horse is just difficult. You don't get it. You person who has quieter horses than me, you clearly just have easier horses. That obviously has nothing to do with the fact that you've put the work in to actually provide for your horse in a way that has rendered them less stressed than my horse. No, my horse is harder and I'm a better rider, which is why I can use this harsh equipment safely and properly. So I'm just going to brag about how good my hands are and take this as like a statement of how great of a rider I am because I can use really harsh equipment without caring and I can ride through all of these stress behaviors my horse is exemplifying and I can stay on and my horse is just so difficult. No one understands me and anyone who criticizes my equipment clearly has never worked with a horse as difficult as mine. Like that is the wraparound logic people use. And yet a lot of the behaviors that they don't like and that they discipline and that they use to justify the equipment they use, they never actually fully go away. They keep happening repeatedly. And it's interesting to me because so many people are like, oh, well, like you have to show a horse who's boss. You have to discipline them. You have to get after them. You can't let them get away with stuff. They're too big for that, blah, blah, blah. And like the people who are doing this, they literally have to do it all the time because their horses are so stressed and pent up that they keep engaging in the unwanted behaviors. They never actually get fully resolved. And even if the singular behavior goes away, a new one develops. Like these horses have chronic issues. Like go into any upper level ring in the warm up, especially like show jumpers and barrel racers and go and tell me how many of those horses are freaking out and just like losing their marbles in the show ring or the warm-up ring. A lot of them. The number of ones you'll see running through the bridle, leaping through the air, kicking out with their mouths gaping open, having their faces reefed off, like with their pain faces on, like it's going to be a, a huge portion of them. 
And it's because of what we enable and because of how many people are enabled and consistently reinforced in their delusions. Like this entire notion that you're a better rider if your horse is worse behaved just because you can stay on it and ride through it, but you're never actually addressing why they're doing things. That is so flawed. And I say this as someone who kind of laid into that because when Milo was really difficult in the beginning, I got the most attention when he was like, bucking and always really nervous at shows and it was like yeah you have such a great seat it's like yeah sure I do but you know it'd be greater if I actually address this behavior instead of having it repeatedly happen and yeah like it was just like it's used as something to like buffer and like groom your ego and just be like yeah like I'm a better rider because I can handle wild horses even though I'm not actually addressing why they're wild and they just stay that way the best type of riders are ones that can get wild and dangerous horses and make them quiet and help them out and help them relax. And again, it's not about perfection because horses are individuals. They can react in certain situations, but the degree of stress that we normalize and justify and allow to continue happening is completely unacceptable. And what's even worse is the fact that people use that degree of stress to take on using more and more gadgets that only serve to mask the horse's communication and take away their ability to express their discomfort or express their nervousness and provide a release for that. So these poor horses who are the most difficult or the most stressed as per their owners are the ones that are constantly the most gagged. They're not allowed to communicate. They're constantly shut down. And then these same people want to say that their horse loves their job and it's like, what incentives do they have to love their job? When they do something you don't like, you put on equipment that will cause them more pain so that you can control them and not have as much of a problem with them. They never get rewarded for doing the right thing. They only get punished for doing the wrong thing. And when you're done working with them, a lot of these horses just go back into a stall or a small individual paddock where they can't properly interact with other horses and they never get to socialize and actually live a life of their own. So not only do they get no autonomy in training, not only do they have all of their communication masked in training, not only are they forced into pain in, in training, but in their time off, they're also forced to live alone, isolated and bored without enough enrichment and without enough ability to practice natural behaviors. So they really have no life. They're just a shell of the animal that they are supposed to be. And then the sad thing is that these same people that have a lot of these horses, they'll look at videos of people who do provide their horses with enough and do engage in more ethical training practices and do try to communicate with their horses more and they'll see how much more personality these horses have and how much more interactive they are and how much more friendly they are and they'll be jealous they'll be envious they'll be like oh I wish my horse could do that but he's too crazy he would never settle like this or I wish my horse was like that but like he's just not cuddly he's really cranky and he likes his own space and it's like no, your horse could be all of those things, but they are the way they are because they're in chronic discomfort because of their living situation. Like, even with horses who absolutely hate being groomed, most of those horses who you cannot touch anywhere without them trying to bite you are so ulcery or in so much pain that they're just lashing out at everything. Like, mutual grooming is a very important bonding behavior for horses. And 
if horses were actually allowed proper socialization from a young age and also having their needs met and being kept in a way that doesn't result in high instances of ulcers or discomfort, then they would like being groomed because they would have been grown up being groomed by other horses and learning about that as a mutual bonding behavior and learning that it's nice. And also if they had owners that were conscious of like when a horse is like, hey, I don't like being touched there and actually listen, then they'd be less likely to get mad when you touch them anywhere because they would go, hey, I'm listened to when I say I don't like this there. This person actually listens and stops and does it lighter or they at least give me some sort of acknowledgement that they are listening to me and that I'm not just going to be forced into a situation where I'm highly uncomfortable and they just keep ignoring me and maybe put a lip chain on or tie my head forward so I can't bite them but I'll still be mad. If you just listen, a lot of them get over that initial stress and discomfort and lack of desire to be touched. They just want to be heard. They just want to be communicated with. They just want to be listened to. And so many horses' stress is directly rooted in the fact that they're never actually listened to. They panic about little things because they don't know what's going to come next, and they always start to predict uh, having all of their communication just bulldozed and having all their needs ignored as someone just continues to push them into situations that they are not comfortable with. They're so used to that that they start to panic over things that are seemingly small and things that they should in theory be able to deal with because they're so used to having those needs ignored and not ever being acknowledged. So, oops, it's really sad. <laughs> It's really, really sad, and it's so unnecessary because it creates more dangerous horses. Uh, people don't get to enjoy their horses as much, and we're just loving them in the wrong way. Like, for example, like, my standards have shifted from being, like, okay with my horse blowing up in a warm-up ring at every freaking show to, like, if a horse switches their tail too many times in a ride when it's not related to flies, that's a flag to me. If a horse doesn't want to be caught to me, that is a huge red flag. Like, if, if my horses stop wanting to be caught, even client horses, even if they come in not wanting to be caught, I take it highly personally when they don't want to be caught because that is a direct indicator that they find my presence aversive or the presence of people aversive and they're generalizing that to me since they don't know me. And that is something that I take very seriously and I want to work on because if my horses don't want to be caught by me, that means they really don't like me. And if I love my horses, I want them to actually enjoy my presence. Um, so it's like these little things where my standards have increased to such a level where it's like I don't accept some stuff that I would just blindly accept. Like when horses used to run away from me several years back, I would chase them and I would do the whole like cowboy like, oh, you just got to make them work harder and teach them running away from you is more work, which is so flawed because all you're doing is reinforcing the idea that you suck to be around, that you are literally the worst, that when they see you coming, they're like, oh, here comes this asshole who's just going to come chase me around until I'm sweating and then when I'm finally caught, they're going to throw all this shitty equipment on me, rip my mouth around, and just make me have the worst time. It's illogical. We should be wanting to make these animals want to work with us. It makes no sense whatsoever to chase a flight animal when you are trying to catch them. 
behaving like a predator and teaching them that you are a threat repeatedly as a means of teaching them to be caught is literally the stupidest thing anyone could ever do. But nine times out of 10, if your horse is hard to catch, this is going to be one of the suggestions that you'll get. They'll tell you to chase them until they're tired, put them in a smaller paddock, separate them from other horses, and all of these solutions that aren't actually a solution, they generally just create more problems. And for the few horses that they actually do work on, those horses aren't enjoying themselves, they don't have a good association with their people, and there's way more horses that it doesn't work on. Like, even with, like, herd-bound stuff, a lot of people with the most herd-bound horses, their horses are literally herd-bound because the means of them dealing with herd-boundness was separating and isolating them more, which is further reinforcing the fact that it sucks to be away from the herd and that when they finally do get within touching distance or sniffing distance of another horse that they have to cherish those moments because they're going to be ripped away from them at any point. And the people hate the herd boundness of their horses, but their ways of dealing with it are what create herd boundness. Like constantly taking horses away from each other, constantly switching up herds, weaning in really traumatic ways where horses are just pulled away from their mom's cold turkey, never to see them again. We do all these things and we normalize it and no one wants to be criticized for it and no one wants to consider the detriments of these things. But then they bitch and moan about all of the problems that these forms of trading create. And it's like, pick a battle. If you're going to do stupid things that create problems that last your horse for like the majority of their life, if not to the very end, if you're going to create these problems with the decisions you make, at least freaking own it and handle that. Don't complain about the problems if you're deliberately creating them and you're not open to any alternative means of addressing these things. Because here's the thing, like more times than not, if you go up to like a random horse person, like someone who doesn't know you, doesn't respect you, and you suggest like rewards-based methods or methods rooted in like kindness and empathy towards the horse, they'll think that you're being soft and they'll be like, oh, well, we can't do that because he'll get nippy or he'll walk all over me. Like they need to be put in their place. They're big animals. And yet there is extensive research linking the danger of horses to stress. And you want to know what training methods are the most correlated with stress? You freaking guessed it. High pressure and punishing training methods. You want to know the living situations most correlated with stress? Isolation and small areas and lack of forage. You want to know what one of the, what they've also studied in the horse world? The general horse person, including professionals, and their lack of ability to properly read equine behavior and also their lack of ability to properly identify learning theory and training terms, meaning the vast majority of horse people not only can re can't read equine behavior, they also have no idea how to actually train. They cannot say what they're doing. They mislabel positive reinforcement. They mislabel negative reinforcement. They don't know what a punisher actually is. They'll say in studies, like when they've interviewed these people and done these surveys, they'll say that they know these things, but then when they are quizzed on it, they absolutely do not. There is no sign that they know. They've also done studies showing that like horse people have learned to normalize stress and pain behaviors to such an extent that they view them as normal. They view it as just a normal way for a horse to look because they see so few horses who are not stressed that they do not know what a stressed horse looks like because there are so many of them. 
Does anyone not see that as a problem? If stress is so rampant and common in the horse world that people literally do not know what a relaxed horse looks like compared to a stressed one, that is absurd. That needs to change and it's never going to if people don't actually start holding themselves properly accountable and realizing that the way you would prefer to care for, train, and ride your horse is not always going to be the most ethical or fair to them just because it's what you find easiest and most accessible to you. Taking shortcuts for your selfish interests at the expense of your horse is just that. It is selfishness. It's not real love. It's not real care. And when you lie to yourself and try to mislabel it as that to justify your right to do that, all you are doing is enabling your delusion at the expense of your horse and refusing any potential growth that could help you become a better horse person and also help you properly address a lot of your horse's stress behaviors that cause you grief. Because uh, for example, my mare that I have, Harlow, I got her back in September 2020 when she retired from racing. She hated being at the track. She hated being in a stall. The poor mare never developed any stall vices, but she was so strung out 24-7 that she could not settle. Apparently, she was terrible to gallop. She would always run through the bridle. They had to put an elevator bit on to ride her. And the rider that she had was honestly a very good rider, but I don't, and I, and I see why they use that equipment if she wasn't safe to ride because you feel trapped in that situation, but it caused her discomfort. It, it caused her a lot of physical discomfort. It added a lot of pull discomfort to her and caused her to carry herself in a way that just added to the entirety of the picture of discomfort, along with her being perpetually overstimulated because she would be going from a dark 10 by 10 stall into an open racetrack as her only form of enrichment and exercise for the day. And then she'd try to go careening around, running away, and then having her mouth ripped off and having an elevator bit pressing into her temples. And she didn't like it. And apparently at races, I never saw her race when she was being ponied before they'd even like make it out of the paddock. Basically, she'd already be lathered and, and frothing and sweat because she was so stressed. So then when we got her, I turned her out right away from set the end of September until like February. And then when she came back here, she exploded the first time I swung a leg over her and was like trying to bronk me off and was just panic stricken. I couldn't even lead her out of her paddock without her freaking out. Like literally all it would take is for like a horse in another paddock to snort and she'd be losing her mind. She hated being touched. If you tried to brush her anywhere, she'd try to kick or bite you. And she was just miserable. Like for, she's the, she was the horse a lot of people would just call a bitch and that they would say that she's crazy. Uh, so what I did is I treated her for ulcers and then I stopped riding her because she tried to bronk me off. And first of all, like, I don't want to injure myself. Secondly, clearly she doesn't want me on her. And I did groundwork. I taught her how to do a check-in cue so that she could tell me when she was feeling over threshold and then I would click and reward her and we'd continue on. <laughs> we'd continue on our merry way. Sorry, I'm so allergic to hay. This is so bad. Uh, I'm like dying, but yeah, and we continue on our merry way. And when she started to have more clarity that she was actually going to be listened to, she quieted down substantially. And when I started riding her again, she was still way too stressed. And literally all we worked on was just walking. I just wanted her to walk and we went on hacks. I never took her in the arena for the first while. We literally just walked. And for a lot of the first few rides, she would jig and she wouldn't want to relax. 
but eventually she started to relax. It got to the point where she could walk off on a loose rein and she stopped exploding. I also treated her for ulcers. And when grooming her, I was really conscious of where I groomed her. I looked for spots that she liked or at least spots that she would tolerate because initially she literally wouldn't tell you if she liked anything. She would just tell you everything she didn't like. And it was constant tail swishing, constant trying to bite you, pitting her ears, kicking out, uh, all that stuff. So I treated her for ulcers and that made her a lot more relaxed about being touched. But what helped even more was when she told me she didn't like something, just stopping and giving her a second and if it was an area I really need to brush then doing it a little bit lightly and then finding areas that she really likes. The first area I found that she really likes is she loves having her titties scratched. She loves having her teeth scratched. It's her favorite thing. She loves it. So when I found that and she realized she liked it, uh, it was a little risky because I was totally convinced she'd fire out at me, but I was like, okay, whatever, let's try. And she loved it. So then when I found that, that was great. It gave me, it gave me something that she liked and that she would consent to allowing me to do. And from there, she became more okay with me brushing her everywhere. She still doesn't like certain brushes because she's got very thin skin. And if she gets like, even like a nick, her skin gets a lot of swelling. She's quite a sensitive horse. Um, but she's not pinning her ears. She's not swishing her tail. She's not trying to bite me. She's not tried to kick me in God knows how long. And she likes being groomed in a lot of different areas. She started being less likely to be groomed following her colic because she lost a lot of weight and has less padding, but that is understandable. So you want to know what I did? I just stopped grooming her as hard. I groomed her way lighter. I picked softer brushes and I didn't brush her where she was really uncomfortable. And the problem is, like, with the brushing thing at the racetrack, not only are a lot of these horses ulcery, but they have to be groomed and, like, turned out for races so that they look good. And if, even if they don't like it, they're tied to a wall and they might even be lip-chained and they're just groomed and they're just forced to take it and deal with it no matter how much they protest because they need to be groomed for it. And this occurs at a lot of barns. It is not just the racetrack, so don't view this as an attack on racing. Literally everyone does this. I've seen hunter jumper barns do this. I've seen western barns do this where they'll like literally kick a horse if they aren't liking being groomed somewhere and they threaten to kick them. Horses will get punished for communicating their discomfort all the time. And then those same horses will get called bad horses and assholes if they suddenly react and don't communicate enough before a big reaction and then just boot someone and someone will be like, this shitty horse, they didn't even give a warning. And it's like, you literally got mad at them for giving you warnings. And then they stopped and now you're mad at them for not giving warnings. Pick your fucking battle and stick with it because you can't get mad at an animal for communicating and then be mad when they don't communicate and when you're just like blindsided by a big reaction because you conditioned them into not communicating and then when they finally cannot take it anymore they're just gonna react man you've put them over threshold without any signs of communication because you've taught them not to do that and yeah like teaching that consent and allowing her that autonomy helped her relax a ton it helped her completely start to turn around that personality and now she's become such a consistent easy to handle horse in so many different situations there's still things that are definitely triggers for her that we need to work on especially in busy environments where there's lots of horses around that's pretty triggering for her like show environments where she's more nervous but she's not gone to very many of those so she still associates with the racetrack and needs more practice but she's easy to handle she's dependable she's really light in the mouth and really soft and really sweet likes people will call and nicker to you when she sees you and genuinely loves coming out to work like she's just a nice horse 
and the amount that this horse's eye has softened is absolutely insane. Like, it's to the point where several people now have come from the racetrack and have seen her in her new home, and they don't even recognize her because they're not used to seeing her when her eyes are not literally bugging out of her head, and I found one of the photos of her from the racetrack and compared it to one of her just chilling during target training with me uh the other day and like she literally doesn't look like the same horse because she is so much less stressed like her eye is completely different and even just looking back at how difficult she was to deal with in the beginning like in all honesty I did not like her in the beginning because she was a pain in the ass like I felt sorry for her I was sympathetic of how stressed she was but it was really frustrating to deal with because it made her very hard to manage even for like normal day-to-day things that just needed to happen and yeah I, I didn't like her I just wanted to get her like settled and then I was planning on like just selling her and getting her out of my barn once she was at the point where she could find a new home uh but then when she started to change I really liked her because I was like wow like so much of this mare's bad qualities are only like the direct result of how she was treated and cared for and she did not know how to interact with people happily nicely or safely because she hadn't ever been allowed that opportunity to the extent that she should have been able to so much of her communication was gagged so much of her behavior was gagged and even just being like locked in a stall or a small paddock for as long as she was she didn't cope with it well at all. Like, the poor mare was born in Ireland, so I can only imagine what she actually grew up being out on, because I bet she was out with a lot of other horses until she hit, like, two years old. And even in Europe, they don't do their races a lot the same way as we do, as from what I've heard, at least. They don't stable their horses full-time at the racetrack, so for the one race she did run in Ireland before coming here, she probably went to the track and then came back home where she's comfortable. Then she came here, and she had to start living at the racetrack. She came to California first, and be stable all the time. And that type of adjustment would be really hard, especially for a horse who would have likely grown up being around other horses and actually getting to grow up in a social herd setting and learn how to be a horse. So it's no wonder she got as stressed as she did, and it's no wonder she took the route of being mean because she'd never been listened to. She had no incentive to like people or want to be kind to them or to trust them enough to just let something happen even if she didn't like what was happening. She had no incentive. She'd been punished. She'd been gagged. She'd been told not to communicate. And she was also just exceptionally frustrated with her environment. And this is the story for so many different horses. And it's really sad. Like right now, as we speak, I'm looking out my window as I record this and I can see Pistachio and Banksy laying down in the shelter and I can see Harlow and her friend Pitch in the field laying down spooning together because they are relaxed and they're always relaxed. Like I would be devastated and like it would be an immediate thing that I would want to address if any of my horses started cribbing, weaving, or displaying the stress behaviors that are so common in stabled environments or stopped wanting to be caught, started trying to kick me when I'm brushing them or started trying to bite me when I'm doing up the girth. All of these things are things that I just wouldn't accept. And it's not that I wouldn't accept them in that I'd be like, oh, bad horse, you need to be punished. It would be like, no, I'm not going to accept this in that. Like, I don't want to work with and ride a horse that hates my presence this much. I want them to actually enjoy their job. And if your horse has a negative association with like the saddle, the girth, you, their halter, We can't kid ourselves into thinking that they like their jobs. Like, if the horse pins their ears when they see you coming with the saddle or when you do up the girth, there's something going on that should be addressed. Like, wouldn't you rather have a horse that stands for you to saddle it and isn't pinning their ears and isn't kicking or swishing their tail or trying to bite you? 
wouldn't you rather have a horse that actually seems to enjoy being there and enjoy your company and actually communicates with you and actually can develop a real relationship with you because they're allowed to communicate? Most people don't actually get to know their horse's personality if they're gagging them in the way that a lot of modern management and training practices like call for. You don't actually get to know your horse's real personality because you're not allowing them to communicate. It's very much a dictatorship where the person gets to be frustrated, gets to express all of their emotions, even if their emotions are getting mad at the horse for their attempts at communication. The person gets to do whatever they want. They get to select the equipment they use. They get to justify the use of the equipment, even if it causes the horse discomfort. And they get to have a life outside of the barn too. So when their horse gets tucked away into their cute little stall or their little paddock away from other horses, this person gets to go home and they can go out with friends. They can go read a book at home. They have the autonomy to do whatever they want. They could not fathom being in the position of their horse. And yet it's often framed as like a mutual partnership and like like a friendship between you and the horse. But people aren't very good friends to their horse. They're not being the right type of friend. And it's not their fault because they haven't been taught how to be a good friend to their horse. They've been conditioned to think that all of these completely unacceptable things are totally okay to do. And I just don't know. I just don't know how we can continue this. Like, I don't know why people want to hang on to, like, the delusion of pretending that so much of the stuff we've normalized is okay, despite the fact that we now have the research showing it's not. And I'm so tired of it because it makes me sad to see people talking about how they love their horses while they're doing things that are deliberately hurting their horse and causing them distress. And this happens on such a rampant basis. And I do understand why people get defensive because, like I said, I I got defensive too. Um, And I get it. Like, it's hard to grapple with and it's hard to consider that you could be causing your horse harm without intending to. but it's necessary for growth. And in my opinion, it should be preferable to deal with like the hard, the hard part of honestly looking at mistakes that you've made in the past and doing your best to become better in the future so that you can give your horse the best life that you can while you have them. I don't understand why so many people would prefer to continue engaging in stuff they've always done to the detriment of their horse while being in denial of so much information that could actually make their horse easier to deal with and help them enjoy their time more with their horse than they would just kind of reflecting and even just considering trying new things because the vast majority of people who shit all over science-based training methods and the idea of 24-7 turnout and group turnout and positive reinforcement have never actually appropriately tried it. They literally just think it's shoveling treats into your horse's mouth or throwing your $500,000 show horse out into a hundred acre field and then be like, see ya, I'm never going to come back. Like, you're on your own now. Good luck. There's no shelter. There's no water other than a swamp and you just get to fend for yourself now. And they take like their judgment of those things that are good for the horses to such an extreme that they're basically like, oh, well, like, you can't put, like, a show horse just out in the middle of nowhere and, like, not care for them. Like, field horses aren't being properly cared for. And there's, like, this such a weird dissonance where it's, like, the idea that a horse kept in, like, a warm, dry barn in a stall is better cared for than one living outside when you can check on them just as often. And when they're less likely to colic or get cast or have all of these issues that are the top contributors for equine mortality, colic namely, they 
deny and they discredit these practices that have way more positives proven to be correlated with them than the practices that they use themselves, which I find so weird. Like the criticism against positive reinforcement for potentially making horses nippy or aggressive is ironic because the most aggressive horses I've ever worked with consistently are ones that are from traditional programs. I've yet to meet a single horse that has ever been trained with positive reinforcement, like actually trained using positive reinforcement, not just shoveled treats by hand for no reason. That is aggressive. All of the horses that are the most dangerous, difficult, and hard to manage are the ones that are stable 24-7 or close to it, and the ones that are trained using methods that gag their communication and teach them to mask behaviors and are all about addressing the symptom of the problem rather than the emotion that resulted in that behavior existing. So the horses are dangerous because they're always walked in like a lip chain or a nose chain to keep them from reacting. But then when you take that off, they're still terrified. And even when it's on, they're still reacting. Like the, the emotion is still there. It's never actually addressed. These are the horses that are the most likely to bite you, kick you, hurt you. And this holds up in study. Like they've studied this. And it's interesting to me because the people that criticize the idea of more holistic horse training um, and care methods are the ones that you see the highest instance of what they are accusing other people of causing problems for like the biting, the aggression, the horses who are pushy and don't quote-unquote respect their owners. They use all of these excuses to discredit the other side when really those excuses are way more applicable to them statistically and it, it, it's just such a dissonance. So this is a really long-winded way of saying that if you really want to love your horse and if you really love your horse, you need to start loving them in the way that your horse actually needs. You can't love your horse like a person. You can't love your horse like you have been taught by someone who has completely denied science teaches you to love a horse. You have to love your horse how they are actually meant to be cared for and loved and how we know works for them mentally and physically. That is the way you can show your horse love and affection and make them feel heard and appreciated. Making it so that it's one-sided communication and that you're only the, the always the only person who gets any say in their relationship, that's not fair. That's not the proper wholesome love that you could offer for your horse. And the best part about becoming more considerate of your horse and opening the doors for more communication is that your horse is going to become easier to handle. I've gotten hurt way less since I started adopting more ethical practices and I, I've started doing things now that I made fun of not that long ago. But I've gotten hurt less. My horses like me more. They're better behaved. They're way happier. And I'm able to address problem behaviors way quicker. And the problems that I do run into and that I become frustrated with are so small compared to what other people are struggling with with their horses. Uh, like, for example, my big struggle the other day was just like, oh, I wish that I could ride Harlow more because she, like, colicked recently, but then she did, like, this awesome target training session with me where she was really involved and actually wanted to be there and, and then wanted to still come out a second time. So it's like, great, my horse wants to come out so badly that when she sees me come out of my door, she's already yelling at me and waiting in the corner of her paddock for me to come get her. And 
that's special. So I might not be jumping a meter 20 or going to the Olympics with her yet or ever, but like she's a happier horse than so many of the horses at those levels. So like at what point are we going to value like the happiness of the horse and how the horse actually feels about something as a better qualifier for the ethicality of their owner, rider, or trainer, and what type of horse person that person is. At what point are we going to hold the horse's opinion above, like, what we view as status symbols? Because horses do not give a shit about going to the Olympics. They don't care about Grand Prix. They don't care about going to big shows. They don't care about winning ribbons. That is all us projecting our status and our societal views onto horses. And when we're talking about good horse people, the only qualifier for that should be actually being a good horse person, meaning being good to the horses and handling horses in a way that is most fair to the horse and training them in a way that is most fair to the horse. So it shouldn't have as much to do with status that is only valued by people. It should be way more to do with the fact that the horses are happy and that the training is fair to the horse. Because honestly, a lot of people at the upper levels of the sport that are the most respected get there because they can afford to be there. It's not necessarily that there's so much better horse people than everyone else. I know a lot of good horse people who practice science-based training methods uh, that are excellent riders and could go jumping around large courses. They just can't afford to be at those levels and they don't want to be there if they have to do what everyone else is doing to get there, if that makes sense. And if we start to open the doors to make the horse world more accessible and if we also start to value horsemanship like an actual care of the horses above status, then we can start to see some big changes and people will see how possible it is to get horses into those arenas without doing all these shortcuts at the expense of the horse's welfare. So here's to encouraging you to consider loving your horse how they need to be loved. It's not always going to be easy. It's sometimes it might inconvenience you and by sometimes I might mean often because horses are accident prone. But it's necessary. And it's not about completely uprooting your life and uprooting your care and everything as you know it. But it's about being conscious, self-aware, and holding yourself accountable enough that you're not going to deliberately engage in cognitive dissonance to justify you choosing to do things that may, in theory, be easier for you and less work for you because they don't require you adopting a new mindset, but negatively impact your horse. If you truly love your horse and don't want to cause them harm and you want what is best for them, then it is time to start becoming open to practices that are about modernizing the horse world and about addressing clear issues in the horse world that have existed for a long time and have been normalized for a long time. And now that we know better, we can do better. But you cannot do better if you refuse to know better and if you deny and deny and deny factual information. It is freeing to accept and hold yourself accountable. And it's also not about doing everything perfectly. It's about being aware enough to try to make the adaptations that you can to better your horse in the situation that you have to offer them. So I encourage everyone to love your horse the way that they actually need to be loved, the way that they're meant to be loved and cared for as a species, and be considerate of the equipment that you use on them because there's a lot of stuff on the market that is completely unethical, and the fact that it's on the market and that people buy it does not make it ethical. It just means that there's a market for it and enough people are willing to shrug it off and ignore how the equipment works that they don't care. Same with management practices. Enough people are willing to ignore the statistics surrounding problematic management practices and attribute their horse's 
problem behaviors to other causes and ignore the elephant in the room, but that doesn't make it true. It just means that a lot of people are in denial, and there's so many studies reflecting this dissonance in horse owners and their lack of ability to actually appropriately uh, label and justify horse behaviors and understand training in general. There's a huge problem with that in the horse world, and it requires all of us holding ourselves more accountable and being willing to share information and not will, not wanting to silence information that makes us nervous or that is hard for us to take in. It requires all of us to kind of want to do better and to demand better because we can do better and we'll be able to enjoy our horses more and we'll be able to do more with them if we do these things. I can promise you all of that. So anyways, here's to that. Uh, thank you for listening to this. I'm going to take a break from podcasting next week unless I come with a really good topic and then the next podcast we'll post after this will be the Mad Barn one on forage replacements. Um, for whatever reason, the grass is like really stuffing up my nose right now. So I'm going to mosey. Uh, but yeah, check out the Memorial Day sale on amoreequestrian.ca, A-M-O-R-E, equestrian.ca. Buy stuff is on the milestone pages. Uh, I just added a new base layer color and some really lovely new summer riding shirts that you can check out and you can get 20% off this weekend only with code MEMORIAL at checkout. So I highly recommend checking that out and I thank everyone for listening to this and apologize if anything I said struck a chord with you, but I encourage everyone to just start kind of reevaluating how we view the horse world because all of us have been brainwashed to a degree and changing that and helping young up-and-coming riders do better requires all of our dedication to doing better and us being honest with ourselves about how far misled we have been because a lot of us have been and it's not been our fault we've been taught by people we trusted and we believed them so it's understandable but that's not a reason to continue engaging in it when we know better now and that we can do better now so here's to doing better and loving your horse the way that they actually need to be loved rather than just the way that is most convenient for us and doesn't require us to question any of our old biases or any problems it's been a journey for me it's required a lot of self-reflection it's been really really difficult and it's a continued learning journey because new information might come out and if new information comes out that says horses hate stall i mean horses hate turnout put them all in stalls then okay i'll eat my words at that point but until then i have no reason to believe that and i might as well do where the information is pointing and take that into account for the best interest of my horses. So I encourage everyone to do the same and just kind of reevaluate how you show your love for your horse and whether or not it's actually the way that they need to be shown and actually the way that they feel cared for, listened to, and uh, loved. So anyways, have a great day and enjoy your horses and here's to loving and caring for them the right way.